Today, we're continuing in our series, Calling and Courage. If you remember, we started this about two weeks ago. And in it, we were talking about what uh, this calling and courage is all about. God created each and every one of us with two basic callings. The first is a general calling that he has for all of us. And that general calling is this. It's, it's general, but it's foundational. It's a foundational calling towards himself. You see, this calling is relational in nature. It's so that we can be reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. And because of this, receive our hope and security that a relationship with him provides. So think of this as even when you're growing up as a child, the kind of relationship that um, some of us may have had with our parents. Just knowing our parents are there, just knowing that our parents are there to provide for us and to help us when, when things go awry. It, it brings security. It brings a platform into our life where we feel like we can stand and be able to explore the world that's around us. This is why the general calling that God has for each one of us is first and foremost to our relationship with Him so that we have that security in our life, that our life is in His hands. And from that platform, we can explore the world, we can explore the life God has given us. The second calling that He has in our life is more specific. It's specific in nature. It makes use of our experiences it makes use of the things that we are gifted in, our personalities, the way that we perceive life. It brings all of that and it brings meaning and purpose to it. That specific calling is what a lot of uh, people call your mission in life, your purpose in life, why God created you. And that is only found by that foundation of the first calling. That more and more as we draw closer to Christ, the more and more is that revealed in our life. See, over and over in the Bible, what we see happening and what is the, what's a common distraction that human beings encounter is that we fall away first and foremost from that first general relational calling towards God. And when we fall away from that, what we see from the biblical narrative is we begin to start falling away from the direction that God has purposed us for. This is why we see as a result, the people of God always trying to compensate by focusing on other things, compensate by finding success in other things, but they're never satisfied because that really isn't the main purpose of their life. There's a quote, if you guys remember, um, that I gave two weeks ago by Stephen Covey. And the quote said this, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We all understand that, right? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You see, in our life, it's relatively easy to get sidetracked by everything else and because of that, to forget our two main callings. This reminds me of someone that was, that's very close to me. Um, I won't say who it is because I don't want to embarrass her, but some of you guys know her as my wife. She used to help out uh, at, my, at her cousin's chicken restaurant. 
So they owned this kind of chicken fast food restaurant. And my wife used to go there to help them out with that. And knowing how particular uh, her cousin's husband was in creating a really good and perfect chicken sandwich and putting it together. I remember uh, one time when she came home, she was explaining what happened, that she was so focused on making everything correctly that she got all the parts, everything was all ready. And then a customer came in and ordered a chicken sandwich. And so as she's preparing that chicken sandwich, she, she put all the components, laid it out there, made sure each one was cooked exactly the way and stacking exactly the way it would be stacked. And then she packed it all together, handed it over to her cousin's uh, husband to give it to the customer. But then he gave a funny little kind of eye contact with her saying, what's this? And what happened is as he opened it, because something seemed off, he realized that the chicken was missing from the sandwich. It's a chicken sandwich, and my wife mistakenly forgot the main ingredient, the main chicken. You see, in her attempt to make everything perfect, she forgot the main thing. See, I know it may sound unthinkable that we can actually forget the main thing of our life. But it's easier than what we realize. And we actually do it all the time. We forget about the main thing. Even when it comes to our relationship with God, a lot of us, we carry the title Christian. And we assume that we know the main thing is having God in our life. But it's so easy to actually forget about God when we say that we are in relationship with God. And one of the reasons why we are prone to do this is because of this. We like to do things my own way. One of the reasons why we are prone to forget about the main thing in our relationship with God, to forget God himself, is because we are prone to do things my way. Since today's passage is a little bit long, it's from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19 to 43. I'm going to shorten it out for us so that we can understand the context, and then I'll refer to different parts of that passage as we go along in today's message. You see, the context of what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 1 was that God released the people of Israel from Egypt. We all remember that story. They were in oppression. They were slaves in Egypt. And these people knew that there was more to life than simply the oppression that they were going through. And so they kept crying out to God. And God sent them a deliverer, Moses, to release them from that. And you'll notice what he does in that release. And what Moses kept saying to Pharaoh was, let my people go. Why? And he says the first general calling so that they may worship me in the desert. In other, in other words, to reconcile that relationship with God. And so as they were going to, uh, to Egypt, finally they make it to Mount uh, Sinai, also in this passage uh, known as Mount Horeb. And so at Mount Sinai, they give all the commands, and after some time there, God says, it's time now that you guys go in into the nation, into uh, the land that I promise you so that you can become a nation. See, at the time of oppression, the people of Israel, they didn't know what they wanted. They, w- they didn't know what good is there for our life to pursue. But in that worship of God, 
at Mount Sinai, as they were worshiping him, God revealed their specific purpose, their specific calling. You are called to go into this land. You are called for this. And so as they're getting excited about that, they make the 11-day trip. So it's around two weeks, but 11-day trip all the way to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was uh, right on the border of the, uh, of the uh, Canaanite land, the land that they were about to go into. So it's right on the border. And so they get to that border, and here they're waiting for further instruction from God. But before they go in, even though God promised them the land, and God says, you can go and take it, the people first said to Moses, let's stop right here. And just for, you know, safety purposes, let's send some spies to just to make sure that what God promised is what he's promising, that this land is good. So Moses agrees with the people, and they chose one person from each of their tribes. So 12 people in total to spy out the land. And eventually they come back from the land, bringing back the fruits of the land and it's huge it's delectable it's incredible and they bring this back and they all say yes this land is good this land is a blessing but one of the things that happens after these spies come back and they recognize the land is good they see challenges though they see that the people are big they feel like they're too small to be able to get that land, and it throws them into a spiral. And that's what brings us towards today's passage. The first point that I want to make from the passage that we will read is that what God makes clear to the people from the very beginning is their destination. The destination is clarified by God. In their worship of God, as they gather together to worship God at Mount Sinai, God makes their destination clear. Brothers and sisters, sometimes in our life, we feel lost, we feel distant, we feel disoriented, we feel tired. We don't really know what we're doing. We just know that we have to do it. Sometimes things get fuzzy. But what's made clear here is worship. When, when we're drawn into worship, when we're drawn into God's presence, that security of knowing that we are His and knowing that we are in His hands and just being with the Father, it unleashes, it opens up greater possibilities. It opens up our vision for our future. God makes our destination clear. See, for the people of Israel, it was clear from the very beginning. What God said to them as they drew close to him at Mount Sinai is, this is where you're supposed to go. That destination was crystal clear to them. See, for them, they couldn't have even dreamed what that destination could be in Egypt. Is because they were concerned about so many other things. They were oppressed by the people there. There were things that were happening in their life that was taking their attention away from God. And all they could think about was their pain and their suffering. But in this worship, God made things clear. It was only made clear as they came together and as they gathered together to, to worship Him. See, it's first and foremost, any destination, when we feel lost, when we feel like we're not sure where we need to go, first and foremost, our destination is found in God. 
You see, as we follow him, just as the Israelites did, it unveils our worship with God, our closeness with God. It begins to unveil, take the veil away from the ultimate destination that God is leading us towards. Only God reveals it, and only God can lead us there. The second point that we see in this passage is this. There will be both practical challenges and self-inflicted challenges that we face. Did we hear that? I want to make sure that we get this. There will both be practical challenges. So any journey, there's always practical challenges. But there will also be self-inflicted challenges that you're not supposed to meet, but you inflict them on yourselves when we're trying to get to the destination that God is leading us towards. See, let me show you what some of these practical challenges were with the Israelites. You know, when God was calling them out of Egypt into the desert, we see practical challenges. How is a nation of a million people going to survive in the desert? Where are they going to get their food? Where are they going to get their water? All of these are practical challenges that God says, I will lead you. Are they going to be protected as there's a lot of raiders that are in the desert that tries to plunder people as they go through it, as they are vulnerable? But what God does is when he provides them a destination, he doesn't just say to ourselves, you go. What he says is, I will go with you and I will lead you there. That's the promise that God gives. He doesn't leave it to our own devices. He's actually part of that journey to ensure that we will get there. How do we know this? Well, look at with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 29 to 33. Look what it said. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. Them meaning the Amorites in the hill country. The Lord your God who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness, there you saw how God, how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you, to camp, and to show you the way you should go. Brothers and sisters, let's not miss the significance of what Moses is reminding the people of here. God didn't just say, yeah, you guys go ahead and I'll meet you there. What it says is God's spirit was with them. He dwelt with them. And in fact, not only did he dwell with them, he went on ahead, it says. God's Spirit always went on ahead of them to look for the next place to which they need to go and to provide protection and power so that they could get there. You see, brothers and sisters, we forget that. That God is actually part of our life. We forget that main thing. Because all we're looking at are those physical challenges. And that's why whenever God led them from place to place in the desert, for us, it looks like just wandering. 
But for the Holy Spirit, he's saying this next place is where you need to go because this is where I'm going to bring living streams of water to come and to refresh your community. This is the next place that we're going to go because in this place, the land is good for manna to come down. In another place, we're going to go this place because in that place, there are raiding parties and that are all going to stream that way. And I don't want to bring fear to you. So we're going to avoid it by going into this area. You see, every step of the way in the desert, as difficult as it was, what Moses points out for the people is he's saying God's spirit was with you. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend because for us, we're so focused on, man, it's so hot in the desert. We're so thirsty. Are we going to have enough water? But God has already taken care of the problem by leading us to the place where we need to go. It's already provided there. But sometimes we're so focused on that and we're so focused on what we don't have and our own resources and, and holding on to extra stuff so that we can feel independent. Sometimes our mind, it goes easily into the places of, is God even here? Because I'm always thirsty. Is God always here? Because I don't know when my next day's food is going to be here or not. Is God always here? Because I'm not sure if manna will be provided the next day. See, brothers and sisters, sometimes because of this, we feel like God is not present, but He is. God is present. He goes before us and He secures the place. All we need to do is trust and listen to Him. How many of us have a hard time trusting God when it really matters? Don't we usually take things into our own hands when it really matters? where we feel like, no, it's a little bit too much, right, in this area. And rather than following God's Spirit, who's already prepared a place for us there, and He will provide for us according to His power and His provision, we don't trust Him. We stay where we are at because we're looking for our own personal security, what we can guarantee for ourselves. See, what makes our journey sometimes, so that's already a journey with the physical challenges that are there that make things already difficult. But what makes things even more difficult is this. It's self-inflicted challenges. Now look at verse 26 to 28 with me. Moses says this to the people. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They said, the people are stronger and taller than we are. Their cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. See, this is an example of self-inflicted challenges. They're making things more difficult by them, for themselves by grumbling in their tents. See, what they're doing is, what, what they should be doing is encouraging one another, saying, hey, this is where God's going to lead us there. Yes, we have these kind of physical challenges that are there, but don't worry, we'll be able to meet it and we'll 
survive somehow because God is leading us. But instead, they make it worse by bringing oppressiveness to their minds. That darkness of their mind to give them a bad attitude, to give them a wrong mindset, to introduce deceptive thoughts into their head. This is self-inflicted challenges. They begin to grumble among themselves saying, the Lord hates us. Is that true? No, the Lord loves them. And that's why he released them from oppression and want to give them identity in the land that he's leading them in. The Lord loves them. But they turn it into God's not with us. He hates us. He has abandoned us. He doesn't care about us. And as they begin to sulk in that mindset, it gets worse and worse. They said, remember what our brother said? There's no way that we can defeat the Amorites. And not only that, the Anakites, I heard that they live there. You know, the Anakites, the people who have like the nine feet, seven feet giants that, that we have to go against. Uh, we, don't, we can't go against those kind of warriors. You see, these things began to add fear into their hearts and to their minds. They began to look at their fears as their main opposition and to believe that their fears had the power over their life. How many of us begin to grumble right away because we focus too much on my ability? We focus too much on our own abilities of what we can see, what we determine is possible for us because we look at ourselves rather than looking to God. We look at our own resources rather than looking to God. See, even as a community, we're going to face struggles as we go together. It's going to be very easy to grumble with each other in our own private conversations, saying this is impossible, this is not going to work, and we begin to pile on a spirit of negativity. You know, some of us, we may look at each other and just say, well, I may be strong enough to go up against the Amorites, but do I really trust this farmer or that guy? Or do I really believe in the ability of this person uh, for us to form a, um, an army together and to really fight for this land? You know, sometimes it's so easy, just as the Israelites did, to feel like we're okay, but others around us make it worse. In the same way, in our own community as church, it's so easy for us to discourage ourselves with that mindset. I'm okay. I'm doing okay, right? But the person on my left or my right or this person in this community, right? Do I have to travel with this person? Do I have to journey with this person? Is this person going to make this community feel life-giving? Because when I'm in this small group or in this life group, you know, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel good or it doesn't feel connected and I feel like they are the problem. And then we begin to exit. We begin to check out of the process because again, our grumbling makes us negative and we believe God's power is not in them. We look to ourselves, we look at their ability and we feel like I don't trust their ability. I don't trust their personality. I don't trust their spirituality. I don't trust this relationship. And we check out. But the thing that we are doing, is it possible 
is that rather than looking to God and his ability to change people, his ability to renew, his promises that he gives, is it possible that we've forgotten who the main actor is in our life? Here's the last point that I want to bring out. The last point is this. Never take God's timing lightly. It's a really important point. Never take God's timing lightly. God is not someone that any one of us should ever take lightly. But I feel like in, in our kind of culture and the way that we act, we kind of almost soften God too much or we soften our relationship with God so much that we feel like God should be the one that's always comforting us. God should always go along with our moods and how we feel. And we've forgotten that God is actually Lord. See, God is not someone that we can just say, you know, put off and just say later. If God's spirit moves in us and says, hey, let's go in this direction together, it's not a suggestion that he's giving us. He's giving us his command because he knows what is best for us. But a lot of times we take it, ah, not, not today, God. Thanks so much for that great suggestion. Thanks so much that you love me and all this kind of stuff, but I'm going to choose this way. We kind of like push them aside way too easily. How many of us could say that to our bosses? That your boss tells you, get this project done and get it done by Monday. And we're like, nah, you know, this week I'm not feeling too good, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in my life and I'm really sorry, but no, I don't think that's possible. But thanks anyways, right? I'll just do whatever I'm doing right now. And then when I feel ready, maybe at that time, I'll be able to do a project. No, it's unthinkable that we say that to our bosses. Yet with God, we always dismiss him that way. With God, we just put him aside and say, not today. Do you not know how I feel? We take our bosses, our earthly bosses, more seriously than we take God. Something is wrong. See, what God told them as they traveled 11 days to Kadesh Barnea, and he said, look over there, that's the land. And I've given it to you. God wasn't just suddenly making it up on the spot. Remember what we learned before where Moses said, the spirit always goes before them and prepares everything. And so for the spirit, he's already gone before us. Before he even suggests, before he even puts that imprint on our heart and just says, do this now. This is what I've, uh, I've ordained for you right now. When we sense that, we are called to obey. Because he has already gone there, scoped it out, and said, this is the right time. But if we just push it off and just say, I'll do that tomorrow, or I'll do that next week, it doesn't work that way. Timing is everything. God says, it's already been prepared. 11 days in, the 12th day, you should go in and take the land. It's all been prepared. The people say no. They grumble. They look at their own um, own abilities and they say there's no way we can do this and they stall and they refuse because they look at themselves and say God don't you know where I'm at today don't you know I don't feel like it today God don't you know I don't have that ability and God says yes but I know that I have the ability see the teacher in Proverbs 14 12 to 13 he knew this about 
human tendencies. And look what he says. There is a way that appears to be right to humankind. But in the end, it leads to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. And rejoicing may end in grief. Do you guys see what the teacher in Proverbs is saying here? Saying when we go with our own instincts, our own mindset, what we feel is best. I'm doing it my way, God. And we rebel against him. Because we believe that my way is the right way. I'm not ready yet. This is not the right timing yet. This is not how it's supposed to go. What, what the Proverbs saying is that it appears to be right to us. It appears to make sense. But he says, in the end, as much as it may make sense to us in that moment, he says, it leads to death. Basically, it leads to a self-sufficient life. But we cannot sustain our own life. It ends there. It may feel good at that time because look at what he says. Because sometimes when we follow our own ways, it brings laughter, he says. Not only that, it brings rejoicing. It feels good at the time. It feels good not to go in and because we feel like it's a heavy challenge, right? There's too many hardships that we're going to face if we go in that direction. And I'm so glad I decided not to and just hang out with my friends or have this time of relaxing and, and also just do whatever I want to do. He says there's laughter and there's rejoicing. But look what he says. Even if there's laughter, he says deep inside, the heart may ache. Even when there's rejoicing, he says, deep inside, the heart may grieve. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you. How many times do you remember where God, you felt God leading you in a certain moment, but you rejected it? And you chose something else, and you're so relieved that you chose that. You're so happy about that. And even though in that moment there may have been rejoicing and laughter, there was also this sense of emptiness, sadness that you didn't quite know where it's coming from, this disorientation that the next day when you wake up, you don't know where this void the sense of uncertainty is coming from. It's because we've rejected our first calling to find our sustenance in God. And when we journey with him, it's to find our adventure and our sense of meaning as it is fulfilled. See, when God says, go now, it's trust me, go now. He's already prepared the way. We don't choose when we go. Look at verse 41. Because this is what the people did. They first rejected it. Moses tells them that they're acting in rebellion. Look how they replied. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it's easy to go up into the hill country. See what the people's mindset were? They, they looked at it and they say, hey, okay, wait a minute. What are our options now? 
we either go back to Egypt, right? And obviously none of us want to go back there or we stay roaming around in the desert and that's no good anyways either. So we might as well go in and give it a shot. So for the people, they said, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. Sorry about that. Okay, we'll go now. We're ready because looking at all my other options, it's dead. Didn't work out. You know, dead ends everywhere. So let's go. We're ready. Everyone take off your arms. Let's do it. And what does God say? No. Timing has passed. You see, for the people, it doesn't make sense to them. Ah, but you're a gracious God, right? What, what do you mean? It only took a couple of days for us to make that decision. What's going on, right? Why is it different today than it, than it was yesterday? And God says, because of timing. Because it's about obedience. It's about trusting me. Not when you're ready. Not when you decide to do it. It's when I tell you to do it. That's how this relationship works. Even though, look at what they said. We've sinned against the Lord. In, in other words, it looks like they're almost repenting, and it seems like God doesn't accept their repentance. But repentance due to personal pity does not change anything. See, brothers and sisters, we need to make that very clear. A lot of times, we're driven towards repentance because we pity ourselves. We feel like everything else didn't work out in our life, and so that's why we're ready to go now. And God said, that's not repentance. That's self-pity. And it almost looks like, as they're deciding to go with him, it almost looks like that they finally mustered up the courage. They're like, now we have the courage to go. But brothers and sisters, courage without God's go is futile. If God is not leading you to go, that courage is futile. It means nothing. It doesn't do anything for you. It just brings a lot more pain into your life. See, even after being warned by Moses, saying God saying, no, the timing has passed. You've already made your decision. You cannot go up now. Another way has been provided but they don't like the the other way right so they said oh we want what's behind door number one and that was our first option right God, God says that first option is no longer available you rejected it right second option is there it's going to take another 38 years right but the second option is there no, no 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 we like the first option better we'll go now and God says you won't go because I will not be with you my spirit's time in that direction has passed Right? But I will still go with you 38 years later. But look at what happens in verse 43 to 44. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who live in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. See what happens when we try to muster up our own courage without God's go, we experience defeat. And sure enough, with false repentance, the people would have already blamed this on God, saying, see, that's why we don't follow God. God never blesses us, but everything is revolved around them. I'm going to do it my way. And God said, it doesn't work that way. 
Frank Sinatra, I'm sure some of you guys know him, even though maybe old for some of you guys. Frank Sinatra was known for a song called My Way. And in the last refrain of this song, as he's coming to the climax, he sings this, For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels, and not the words of someone who kneels. That the record shows I took all the blows and I did it my way. It's easy to find rapport with Frank Sinatra's logic because that's how we all are all prone to live. We admire that kind of mindset. You did it. You're good for you. You stuck to your guns. Good for you, right? And you, you, know, you didn't let anyone else make that decision for you. You made the decision. And no matter what you suffered, at least you did it your way. And we kind of honor that. We almost lift that up in admiration. But look what he says. For what is man and what is he God? If not himself, he has not. In other words, that thinking comes from this very concept of thinking, well, no one loves you as much as yourself. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, then no one else is going to do it for you. That's where the logic comes from, is that there's no one for you except yourself. That's why you have to do it your way. It's a very depressing mindset that you're out here in the world by yourself, and no one cares about you except yourself. So that even means your successes, you know, people might praise you, but no one cares because it's not their success. So you might as well do it your way. But the Bible presents us with a very different mindset, saying you're not alone. And you're not the only one that cares about your life. In fact, God cares about you more than you would ever care about yourself. He's more invested in your life than you are. So even the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of me? And God says, because you are mine. I love you because you are mine. And I will always be mindful of you. I will always lead you. I will always be there for you. But you've got to trust me. See, the amazing thing to know is that God loves us and promises to lead us. So why do we continually refuse to bow our hearts and our knees to the Lord? Why are we so insistent to do things my way and to continually receive the blows and the scars that we consider as honorable in our life? Brothers and sisters, let's not do it my way. Let's trust God and do it his way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the love that you have for each and every one of us. And I pray for those of us who really need to hear this today, will your spirit bring an unveiling that first leads us to repentance that we spend time with you today and we repent, Lord. We truly repent, not self-pity. But we want to restore a right relationship with you. 
And in that repentance, Father, as we draw near to you, may we be reminded of the hope that you set in our hearts, the direction that you have made clear that we have ignored. May we hold to you as we walk forward in that courage despite all the challenges that are before us. May we experience your power and your grace and your love in our life as we do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.